0: you are listening to the critical mass radio show orange county's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to ceos who are leading middle market companies with your host richard franzi
1: hello and welcome to orange county's longest running business talk show and yes i am your host rick franzi and boy do we have a good show planned for you Why do you ask? Because our guest is Eileen McDar. She is a serial entrepreneur, have been founding the the Resiliency Group, I'm sorry, Eileen, as well as McDar Communications. Eileen, welcome back to the show.
0: Thank you, I'm thrilled to be back. We had a good time the last time and let's do it again.
1: So let's start at the beginning. Take us back in time and talk about the original motivation and inspiration you had to start your own practice.
0: Uh, can I put it this way I had two horrible bosses in two different companies <laughs> and as I worked with one I learned more what not to do than my answer to this vice president she was totally dysfunctional and then the second the second one it was uh, it was nothing that fed my heart um the head of that company all they wanted to say bring in more money and we don't care how you treat the clients I said i can't do this anymore and I quit mm-hmm. I quit. And I said, I don't know what I want to do, but I know what I don't want to do. And I'm strong. I'm a strong writer. I'm a strong speaker. So I said, I'll take, I'll take clients for marketing. I can develop any kind of marketing material you want. And uh, in short order, um, a colleague said, "Would I create a, a program for um, adults who were coming to the community colleges?" Uh, for in this case, it was the first one was write a business plan. I said, "Yeah, I could do that," and I had forgotten how much I love to teach. Hmm.
1: We're going to talk about that teaching experience in a little bit. So l- let's talk about the two firms that you're, you're, what you're doing in your career. Cause you've had a fantastic career. You're, you're always reinventing and evolving yourself. And I love it. And I'm so impressed with you. So tell me a little bit about your work. What are you doing now, Eileen? How are you helping people?
0: Okay. So McDark Communications was the the first one, and I've always kept that name because that is my field. My field is the field of communication, whether it's written or spoken word, facilitating. Um, And then when 9-11 hit, Rick, what I realized is what I was watching all around our nation, and how did people get through that? At that point in time was the most serious thing we had encountered, you know, since, you know, since the various wars. And I thought, you know, I need to understand this thing called resiliency. Mm-hmm. How can I help people step back and develop that? And that's how we got the second one, the resiliency group. That's how it all started. Where it's it's kind of like what you, I know you do this with your guests, is what's the need and how do you fill it?
1: So what do you do? Teach or work on in the resiliency group because I, I I think that's one of the keys to su- longevity and success in life is that ability to get yourself up off the mat, right? Dust yourself off and do it right. again.
0: Well, there there's two. It's it's a parallel track. Okay. So you've got the individual right here, and the traditional notion of resiliency, Rick, is to bounce back. I say that's stupid. That doesn't. <laughs> okay. And I'll tell you why it's stupid. Human beings do not go back. You can be a piece of steel that bends, but human beings, you either grow or you're stuck in place. Mm. So the key to resiliency is your energy management. How do you manage your mental, emotional, physical hardiness that you have the energy to move through challenge or opportunity? You know, it takes resiliency if you're going to start a great company and it's going to take a lot of energy out of you. So there's the individual. Then there's the collective. Which is what is it that we do as an organization? How do we tap in to to create this energy that draws customers and clients to us? And how do we take care of each other? So it 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 um, they interweave. I think of it as like the human DNA, mm-hmm. It's back and forth. And so, uh, but at the, the base of it, it's about communication, and it is about energy management, which is why I call myself the CEO, the chief energy officer.
1: <laughs> I love it, and. You know we are the stories we tell ourselves from from a cultural perspective in in companies. And you know if I look back on my personal career, some of the apparent darkest or most challenging things led me in a way that maybe I wouldn't have gotten there if I hadn't had had that experience. And so it really it was very formative to be able to face those challenges and move through them to the next level. Yeah. wouldn't maybe have gotten there if it weren't for the challenges.
0: Well, I think that's, I think that's true. And when we don't answer up to the challenges, then we get stuck and we don't, we don't grow. We're stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why this notion of going back, you just don't go back. Human beings don't go back. You either stay where you are or you move forward. So my notion of resiliency is how do we grow in mm-hmm. small ways and in big ways? And what you're telling me is when you have some dark times, you, found a way to grow through them and ended up in a place where you never thought you would be, which I think for many of us in running our businesses, I never thought I'd do this. <laughs> no, I didn't wake up one day and go, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a consultant and I'm going to speak and I'm going to write. I did. But when you pay attention to life, life presents opportunities. If you are aware and if you listen closely.
1: You know, that's so interesting. I got goosebumps as you were talking about that because Where I am today in my career is the most natural place for me to be at this stage in my life. But if you go back in 10-year chunks, there's no 10-year window, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, where I would have necessarily said, this is where I need to be at this stage in my life. But I've been able to get here, and I'm so thankful that I am doing what I'm doing. So.
0: You're doing very well at it. I mean, look at the number of followers that you have. Thank you. And all of you who are listening, you just share this with everybody so that Rick can keep growing and growing and growing. Take Orange County and maybe LA and San Diego County by storm.
1: Right? What better place to live in the U.S. than Southern California? Now, you're a Hall of Fame speaker. I don't get—I get a lot of speakers, Eileen, but I—you're my first true Hall of Fame speaker. So, first of all, explain to me a little bit about your speaking business and that but then also this success that you've been able to achieve and differentiation in the speaking industry. I'm so curious.
0: Okay. So first off the hall of fame speaker is given by the national speakers association. It is in my profession, what the Academy award is within the television at Oscars in the movie industry. So it's that, so it's that it is also determined by your peers, just like Academy awards are voted on by the people who are a member of the Academy. Uh I am voted on by my peers. Uh, there are only 187 of us right now uh, living. Uh, there's oh I have to sneeze. Oh, I didn't know how to see this coming at you.
1: <laughs> live broadcast, ladies and gentlemen. This... Bless you.
0: <clears throat> okay. Um, so so I was awarded that and it's based upon your eloquence, your expertise, uh, your ethics. And your enterprise; those four things: eloquence, expertise, ethics, and enterprise. And your colleagues who who have the Hall of Fame vote on that, and only five people, uh, potentially at the max, can be given it in a year. So that's how that's how I got that.
1: Well, that's congratulations on that being seen that way by your peers. That's a that's a powerful statement when you're on the stage and you're speaking what are you talking about and what are people learning from hearing you speak
0: okay well i'll just i'm going to use the last one that i just did a couple weeks ago thank you and these were for uh, clinical leaders of uh, surgical care centers that are freestanding around the nation Hmm. and what i talked about was how do you lead with power passion play and purpose and I talked about, and then we have some interaction. It's about 350 in that audience, which is a small audience, that you have power to do and you have power over. You don't want power over people. You want power over yourself. So what is it that you have and how do you claim that power as a leader? Passion is what is it that draws you? Why are we even doing this to begin with? And then play is you better have fun in what you're doing. You don't have fun on what you're doing. Nobody wants to hang out with you. And the act, the last one purpose is the larger picture. What is the larger picture of the work that you do? And judging from the feedback that I got from that group, it was an hour, you know, there's serious part, there's laughter stuff, there's story, <laughs> there's you know, stuff that goes up on the on the the screen. But my whole thing is to create this connection. And what the senior, the senior person who was there said, my team said they felt heard understood and served and that's the ba- greatest compliment we can have that they felt heard understood and served
1: and so you're comfortable speaking to audiences of several hundred and larger you said
0: yeah so. I, I, my largest one was fifteen thousand wow but you know it sounds like it's a lot Rick yeah. the truth of the matter is when you got an audience that's big you can't see fifteen <laughs> thousand. just two rows so it's <laughs> 50 people, 40 people, Uh Um, and they feed off of each other. So the size doesn't really make a difference. In fact, in some ways, a smaller audience is more challenging because they don't have necessarily that energy that that goes. Mm. So they can be they can be different sizes.
1: Yeah, that's fifteen thousand. That's like uh, speaking to the Hollywood Bowl. I think the Hollywood Bowl holds fifteen or seventeen thousand, so relatively. Go
0: speak there; that'd be fun.
1: That's a pretty pretty. uh, I see Mariah Carey is coming to sing her holiday hits to the Hollywood Bowl. I thought, oh my gosh, what a fun experience that would be. But that's either. I'm off subject. I'm wondering before we move off your speaking profession, you've been doing it for a few years. Has the speaking industry or what's expected of the speaker? has that changed in any meaningful way that you've had to adapt to have you noticed anything i guess i'm curious with gen x and gen y and gen z and uh, all that
0: so so yes it has changed first and foremost covid changed a lot
1: oh my yes
0: i had to learn how to present virtually mm-hmm. now the good news is that my level of energy translates in the- a <laughs> right So i can i don't care whether i'm looking at you know a zoom call with 100 of them or only with six but we can connect that way and it did give you a little different um communication with the people who were there um so that that really changed things i think people in organizations too as the expenses grew instead of bringing people in personally they would have regional meetings um Mm -hmm. Hotel fairs, uh, airfares, hotels, they've just jumped astronomically. So depending on the organization, they might not be able to do the in-person as they want. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing that has changed, um, there's a lot of use of technology. Uh, I saw a presentation uh, just this summer that the entire hour was with artificial intelligence, with the speaker, doing things, and these stuff would appear over here, and then here's a brain that floated away, and then here's a a buffalo that came across the stage, and all of a sudden there was a zap, and the speaker suddenly had on a different outfit, and talking, and frankly, I found it obnoxious. Was, Over
1: overuse of the technology.
0: Well, it was because instead of connecting, what I what for me is important is connecting with the audience. Right. You don't connect with some brain that's floating around here. It's one thing to show show me ten minutes of what can be possible, you know, with with all this technology, but don't make me sit for an hour and look at all of this stuff. And by the way, in order to do that, the speaker's about that big in an mm-hmm. audience of about twelve hundred, so the, the connection was missing. But I think there is, you know, there's a place for it. Um, I will use some of it, but I still think at the end of the day, Rick, it's all about human connection. And isn't that what we're seeing right now? What we yearn for is, do you know me? Will you talk to me? We're seeing that in when I work with groups and they're talking about, you know, the the quiet, uh, what is it, the quiet resignation? Because people don't feel that they matter. They don't feel like anyone's connected to them. So one of my jobs when I wear the hat of consultant or facilitator is how do we come together and learn and appreciate both the positive and the negative and what do we have in common? I think that's one of our great challenges now.
1: I agree. And uh, this hybrid remote work is probably raising the bar to build connectiveness on teams when when you're physically remote consistently from each other. I wanted to turn my focus on your career back to the very beginning as far as I know it and that is that you actually started or had an early job in the classroom as a teacher. So t- take us back I re- my wife's a teacher I have great respect for teachers it's a wonderful profession but what was it like for you and and how did what did that lead to relative to where you are today? Aileen?
0: Um well I taught at a rural community at the Florida Georgia border which means that Um, I had everything from preschool. I taught year round. I had everything from preschool to adults. Adults coming back to take their GED, preschool during the summer. And then on the regular school term, I have uh, seventh and eighth graders. And those are very, very different groups. Um, And I, I I loved what I did. And I was, I think I was a good teacher because at the end of my four years there, I was chosen as teacher of the year for my county which considering the fact that that was not what my degree was in, everybody else had a teaching degree. I got my certification in the classroom by doing it. Um, And I, the reason I left was that, remember, it was a small rural community. I would have taught almost every child that was coming into that classroom. And I, I didn't think I had enough to share with them anymore. They needed somebody new. Mm. And I felt I needed to, Spread my wings and be with some grownups. Try the adult world. And so uh, when I left, I became director of marketing for Amelia Island Plantation there off the coast of Florida. And subsequently, we divorced and then came out to California and worked for two dysfunctional companies and started my own. Teaching
1: young minds is one of the most important things we can do. And it's a hard job. Yeah. It is. Keeping their attention and making an impression. But whenever I lead a workshop and I ask people other than family, who's been very impactful in your life, a high percentage of the responses are at somewhere along the line, a teacher.
0: I'm so glad that you said that, because uh, tomorrow night I'm probably going to go and address um, this one of the school boards that's here because of some things that they're going to uh, quote do that's going to. Create that non a lack of trust between student and teacher. Mm. I'm concerned about that. Um, and, and you're right, teachers are. We have a wonderful responsibility. So what I think of now is I teach. It's just that my grow my little kids are grown ups. <laughs> I'm connect with the kids. <laughs> yes,
1: probably a lot of the skills you mastered in those four years, you're still using today in some way, shape, or form. Let's talk about, you mentioned artificial intelligence, but I'm curious, in your profession, what's the impact that you're starting to see from AI and are you planning Um, to leverage it?
0: I'm seeing a lot of people using it. Um, I've gone on and asked questions just to get some background information for me. My caution, my caution is twofold. One is as a writer. I saw someone put something up. They said, oh, I just wrote my first book in two days. They took it all out of AI. Basically, it was plagiarized. There wasn't an original piece in there. It was pull out all these things. Good, I got a book. Well, I don't, as a writer, I don't appreciate that. Uh, So I think there's a danger in thinking it's so easy that I don't have to really think about it. And that's one of the dangers I see in classrooms. In fact, some classrooms now, they're having the kids write their essays in the classroom. Mm. Where they can't go out and ask AI all this stuff. We want to see how do you think. I mean, that's really important. How do you think? How do you put together things? Right. Um, so there's a caution on that side. Um, and you also, it's just like anything when the social media, uh, the ability to create um not false negatives where you think the person is really saying something and it's it's a dummy yeah. they've yeah. been. What's that term?
1: Deep fakes. Um, deep fakes.
0: Deep fakes. I have a colleague now. That's all he does is testify in courts. His oh my. Is this a deep fake? So, you know, there's a lot of things to be careful of, but it can also be very powerful if we yes. use it wisely. Yeah,
1: which is always the risk, isn't it, when you're dealing with mankind? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's look to the future, my dear. What? 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 You're, I'm gonna have you back on the show at some point in the future. What's gonna? Where, where are you going? What do you? What do you see as the next vista or opportunity for you in your profession?
0: That's a great question, and Rick, I don't have an answer. Fair enough. And I'll tell you why. Okay. Um, I've been doing this for so long. I think that I have more years behind me than in front of me. And I want what's in front of me to really matter. Mm -hmm. So I am looking at how do I play the best role of being a modern elder? And a modern elder is someone who has wisdom to share. And how do you share that? At the same time, there's things I need to learn. So I'm exploring what would that look like? How can I help individuals and organizations? Because I'm not the only person. Mm -hmm. Tapping into wisdom an elder piece of wisdom so maybe the person has retired but they've got some wisdom how do we tap into that at the same time how does the elder say teach me what you know that i don't know so i'm i'm real i'm i'm exploring it reminds me of a song a colleague wrote she said i'm not lost i'm exploring Mm. and that's really where i am right now
1: you know, words are so powerful. And when you put those two words together, modern and elder, that is such an image. And and I I, I applaud what you're doing, because I believe from what I've from the experts that I've had on my show, like Chip Spinoza, who was on our show last week, who studies millennials and now Gen Z there's a craving for mentorship in those two cohorts and this knowledge that elders modern elders have they are probably more receptive to it than we were in our cohort when we were their age and so i think bringing fusing those two together could be really great for society too
0: you know i do i think it's I think it's powerful the the like you said the millennials the gen z they don't have the experience the life experience that we have at the same time, there are some things that they could, you know, that they could teach, teach us, but to ignore that experience, that history makes them start all over again. Yeah. that's why History is important. How, yeah. how do we get to here so that we right. either improve on it or we never do that again? It didn't work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah.
1: it's
0: intriguing thought.
1: Uh, I tell you, we, um, mankind is redefining what the meaning of age is especially in this country recognizing maybe what some other cultures have realized how valuable the modern elders are to the society and so i really hope that you and the others who are focused in that way can make a significant impact in this area well
0: that's that's really that is what i want to do i'm starting to make notes you know if i were to write another book you know how do you how do you bring the modern elder into into an organization How do you tap into that kind of wisdom? What would that, what would that look like? How do you seek them? And the, um, I I also think that there's great, um, benefit in looking at because we've done so much and Rick, you've done so much. I hesitate to say this, but you are becoming a modern elder. Oh
1: yeah, definitely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so how do you capsulize that information, that growth? At the same time, how do we how do we become better at self-care? Because when we are involved in our organizations, that's where we hear about burnout, all those yes. things. We get very, very busy. And I think as we approach this modern elder thought, it's also saying, how do I slow down to take care of myself as well as my family? And that becomes a priority too.
1: I have a i heard a saying a while ago um don't complain about getting older it's a privilege denied to many and Hello? as i as i as i get older and i start to see some of my friends sometimes younger than i am i found out just yesterday that a good friend of mine here in orange county passed away in her early 50s so you know you just you, you have to cherish every day so if someone wants to connect with you, how? why wouldn't they, Eileen? <laughs> how, how should they find you? Where should they find you, my dear? Well,
0: there's many, many ways. Okay. okay. They can go to my website. If you just Google my name, Google Eileen MacDor, you will get to my website. You will get to LinkedIn. Um, I am not on TikTok. You're not going to find me on TikTok. <laughs> um, but you will also find, I'm one of the few people who actually puts my real phone number on my website. Have you noticed that many people on their website, it says contact and what it is, is a form you fill out. <laughs> Just call me if I'm about connection, call. Yeah. And what we want you to do is I want you to call my cell phone. The reason I want you to call my cell phone is now my office line is filled with nothing but spam, as I think many of us have already discovered. You know, it's back that spam. No. Nope, call me on my cell phone. I'd love to talk to you. You can email me, eileen at eileenmachdar.com. There is obviously some forms on my website if you want to fill something in and something specific, but um, I'm easy to find and I'm fun to talk to.
1: You are. And I told you at the top of the show, ladies and gentlemen, it was going to be a big show, good show. And Eileen, as always, I thoroughly enjoyed the time. It's flown by. Thank you today for being our guest.
0: My great joy. Thank you, Rick.
1: And thank you, audience. You've been a part of Orange County's longest running business talk show. Eileen's show will now become part of our catalog of over 1,400 interviews that we've done with Orange County executives over the years. If you're an Orange County entrepreneur and you have a story to tell, then reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm Rick, R-A-C-Franzi, F-R-A-N-Z-I. That's also our company's website, rickfranzi.com. And until the next time we have a chance to be together, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction.